Hello and welcome back to the beautiful Mind Game podcast. We're back for another brilliant episode with myself, Millie, and of course, Hams from Friday Night Counterattack. We've got another amazing guest on the podcast today. But first, Hams, how are you doing? How's your week been? Uh, it's been a good week, mostly been working. So I've been quite uh, relaxed today, having a day off. So I thought, you know what, it'll be a good day to have a podcast and who better to get onto our podcast than a very special guest that you've brought us today, Millie. So I can't wait to hear more from who we have in store and what we can learn from um, our guest. Why don't you tell the listeners a bit about our guest before we introduce her properly? Yeah, of course. I mean, you sound very relaxed today. It's nice to hear, making me feel very relaxed as well. I'm always relaxed. <laughs> you are, you are, you are. But today we have a very special guest on. Um, she, I don't want to tell, I don't want to give the listeners too much because it's so great. But, give, give them a teaser trailer give them a teaser trailer okay so she's been on a little bit of a journey she's been transitioned through sports which we have had on before but it's different sports this time she's gone from weightlifting to rugby to american football and she's had all these different intricacies going on and i know on the side as well she's also a brilliant artist as well i mean <laughs> it's insane to hear and I have to get this one in just to tell everyone she was, correct me if I'm wrong, the only female on an all-male American football team. And to be honest, I've never heard of something like that. Like that is incredible in itself to hear. So before I go on too much, please let me welcome onto the podcast, Beth Foster. How are you, Beth? And how's your day? How's your week been? How are you? I'm good. Thank you for that introduction. That was, uh, that was amazing. We have um, to do our guest justice on here. So yeah, really well look at that. this smile you put on my face <laughs> on a Thursday morning. Um, yeah, no, it's been a great week. Um, I'm in the middle of moving house, starting a new chapter of my life. I'm moving to Warwick from Leicester. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Things are changing, transitioning. Brilliant, yeah. I mean, like I said just then, you've been on a journey so far to get you to this point. Mm. I want to go straight into it. I mean... You said just then before the podcast that you was into weightlifting and things like that. How has yeah. that come about? Like, how did you start with weightlifting? Um, so I've always been into the gym from a young age. Um, I qualified as a fitness instructor when I was about 15, 15, 16. It's always been a part of my life. But then when I was sort of 16, 17, 18, I quit sport altogether and I became a carer for my grandparents who were terminally ill and I lived at theirs um so you know I'd help them in the morning I'd go to school come back check in on them go teach a few classes come back and then help them in the evening and then go to bed and repeat and that was pretty much my life for two years until I left for university and I didn't know anyone and on my first day, I happened to sit next to a German national weightlifting champion who was also happened to be on my course. And we got What's talking. Name? Uh, Chris Russ, Christopher oh, okay. Russ. Um, I'm sure you pronounce his surname differently in German. I probably didn't do it justice then, but he was so sweet. And I was telling him about my interest in sports and he said um you know you look quite strong come down and trial at the club and I was like oh no I'm, I'm not sure that's for me but he persuaded me to go and on my first day 
I almost hit the weightlifting, the women's weightlifting records at the university. And I was very close to them and they were like, you're staying, <laughs> you're staying in the club. And yeah, and with a year of training and Christopher Russ, he actually became my, my coach in the end after a few months. And after about a year and a half, I managed to win a, a national title. And um, what was the limit? You said you said almost hit the limit for the women's uh, weightlifting thing. What yeah, was the so limit? The records were about something at the time. It was about a sixty-something snatch, which, if you're familiar with weightlifting or not, a snatch is where you take a wide grip on the bar. It's on the floor, and in, within one swoop, you put it over your head. And I think on my trial, I did something like 45 or 50. And yeah, they were quite surprised. And then with the clean and jerk within a couple of weeks, I was doing something like 80 kilos, which is same thing from the floor, but you have two moves. So one from the floor to your shoulders and then shoulders, one move straight overhead. Like they do it in CrossFit a lot. Can I just say at that point, I've tried the clean and jerk and I love doing that movement. The most I've done is about 40. Like literally, <laughs> that's heavy. Like, it's, so eight, eight kilograms is insane. Thank you. Yeah, I was, I was, um, I was amazed. Like, I, I didn't know I had that in me, to be honest. I was just as shocked as everyone else. And uh, yeah, so I, um, I was training at Loughborough. I was, I was in the performance team. Got my national title, um, got gold. So just to run it back a bit, you said that you'd never done weightlifting before, but if there was an athlete listening to this or someone who's like a semi-pro athlete, would you recommend weightlifting to go in straight away or would you have to uh, bide your time going into it? Because it just sounds to me like you're a natural at weightlifting there, Beth, but maybe some athletes aren't. But what would you kind of recommend if you had to give people some advice into getting into weightlifting as a training exercise? I would say also because I'm a fitness coach as well, I would say find a coach, find somebody just to teach you the basics. And I think that's really important to lay the foundations and then you can grow so much easier from there. And people are really scared to find a coach, especially when they're a beginner, but actually it's one of the best things you can do. Um, same if you want to start athletics and you want to start sprinting, get someone to show you the mechanics. And then that gives you the springboard to accelerate. Um, it's it's very hard to get anywhere unless someone opens that first door for you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that because it could just mean that you're going somewhere in a completely different direction yeah. very fast instead of going into the right direction slowly. So it makes Exactly. Sense. Get someone to point you in the right trajectory and then the rest is up to you. How much time and how much you commit to that, that's your job. Kind Excellent. Of thing. Nicely done. Sorry, um, continue what you were saying. Uh, yeah, so I, I'll try and speed through it a little bit. But uh, I got scouted in the gym for rugby and I played for a year at Loughborough University. And then I found out that I really like running around and running into people. That's just something that I enjoy. <laughs> and um, I played, prem I got into the Premiership training squad. I played for a year. Then I played for Leicester Tigers women's team. Fantastic. Well, you get and, to play at um, the stadium as well. 
I did. I played at Welford Road and that was probably the highlight of my sporting career was to play in that stadium with a crowd. It was and a how... small crowd. But... No, it's, it's, it's still good. Uh, still really good to see as well because um, with women's rugby as well, it's been a big thing in the UK for a good number of years as well. It's been mm. a big worldwide sport as well. So it's really good to see how it's coming about really because how many games did you play for Leicester Tigers? I played two games for them. And I actually broke both my hands shortly after and had to take the rest of the season off. As in like yeah. one each? Yeah, okay. on both sides. So I broke this bone here and then I broke this finger and I damaged some ligaments in here. Um, so that cut off my season, but I was very depressed at the start. But actually in hindsight, that was probably one of the best things that could have happened to me because I had half a season to just reassess what I want out of sport and to actually reflect on what, what do I want long-term? What do I want from these teams that I'm playing for? What are they giving back to me? And I can get onto that a little bit later, but that, that was uh, like a little blessing in disguise. And uh, at the same time, and it, back to my sporting journey, at the same time as playing rugby, I was also playing just a little bit of American football because I, I've always enjoyed watching it. And I played for a women's team for a few months and excelled. And I happened to get selected for the GB women's team at the time when I was playing uh, in, I was playing for Birmingham of, in American football. And I did a little bit of GB, absolutely loved it. made so much progress, had such a blast. The girls were amazing, such a supportive crowd. And then I got back into uni and I was doing my finals and I didn't have time to train regularly in Birmingham. And so I thought, oh, what am I going to do to fill that hole? And I approached the men's team because I was already friends with somebody in it. And I, and I just sort of like put it out there as a bit of a joke, like, oh, do you reckon, do you reckon I could play for you? And I wasn't even serious about it and then he turned around to me and was like yeah come down on Tuesday night and we'll test you out and I was like okay so that I did I turned up I was like I'm not going to back down from this rocked up I had I'd just been to my mum's birthday and I had pink nails on I had um leggings with pink stripes down the side and I walked out, out onto a field of a hundred blokes all kitted up. And I felt really confident until I got onto the field and saw all those blokes. And I was like, what have I got myself into right now? And, um, and I could see all their faces. They're like, oh, you know, like, what's she doing here? And I got into, I got through the warm up. And every team has an individual warm-up. And if you don't know the warm-up, you can get it wrong. I got it wrong. So that was one thing. Um, and, and then you split up into your individual unit groups. And I went off with the linebackers because that's the position I play. And so I what could... position did you play in rugby to then transition into a linebacker? So I played flanker. And then because I was quite strong with my weightlifting background, I played prop. Okay. So I was actually I was actually about 30 kilos too light to play prop, but I could just about hold my own. Mm. 
And so, uh, but with a linebacker as well, isn't that more of an attacking type of? Position? So a linebacker is a defensive player. Okay. It's just about your job as a linebacker is you watch the running back and the quarterback. Basically, eyes on Tom Brady. Um, you never let go of them unless it's somebody else's job. You lock eyes with them. If you can't get them, anyone who runs out at the side, it's your job just to smack them. Mm. And uh, the nicest way of putting it. And I loved it because I'm like a massive golden retriever on the field. I'll just chase anything. I'll just run, hit, you name it. Um, yeah. And uh, anyway, I, I went off with the linebackers, with the guys on this trial session and I went to the back of the queue because I was a bit nervous and we all lined up and we had to do this footwork drill and then you had to run back and you and the coach would throw a ball and you had to go and catch the ball and then bring it back and all the guys went before me and they waited behind the coach so that they could watch me do it and I was I just like put a poker face on acted really confident went out there did the footwork drill almost perfectly better than some of the guys did flipped my hips turned ran down the field caught this ball brought it back and I could just see the guys faces change like that they were like okay she can play and that was it was such a subtle thing and one guy even came up to me and just gave me a massive pat on the back like guys do and yeah, it was just that switch, that moment of like, yeah, I can do this. I've got this. Yeah. And then the rest is history. I played on the men's team for the rest of the season. What did you feel when you first was told, yeah, I can come down, you can come down and play with us? At first I was, uh, I was really confident. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm that girl. I can do it. And it wasn't until I stepped onto the pitch and there was just a hundred guys looking at me and I felt so like, I didn't show it, but inside I was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. Um, but I, I'm glad I persevered and I didn't let that feeling eat me up because I had the best time with that team. The boys were amazing people. Do you think after that moment when you threw it and you did all the footwork and everything, do you think that was the moment when their respect for you changed? Yeah, I could definitely see it in their faces. The, the coach, <laughs> before I did that drill, I went up to the coach and I was like, look, just because I'm a girl, I don't want you to treat me any differently to the rest of the guys. And he was like, what, do you think because you're a bird, I'm going to change how I teach? And I just sort of looked at him and went, okay. Went, did the drill. And uh, then he took me to the side afterwards and was like, you're all right. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> but That's I wouldn't that. want it any other way. You know, that was, that, that was a, a real good moment for me. It's incredible to hear. Like I said before, I've never heard anything like that like especially a sport like American football I've never heard of it before it's actually it's actually an amazing thing in American football it's a unisex sport so girls have always been allowed to play but because of the physicality of the sport and the nature of it 
girls often shy away from it because they don't there's no representation for women there's no there's no one else in the NFL you know NFL women can play in the NFL but there aren't any women in it so you wouldn't know that um that's crazy I didn't know that yeah it's it's, it's always been a unisex sport it's, it's one of the most actually uh what's the word it's one of the well, biggest sports in the world where both men and women have the same equality to it as well and that's above soccer which is crazy yeah. So yeah, it's it's actually a fantastic sport, a fantastic franchise. Have to give it to the Americans. You know, they've done a fantastic job with the NFL. Um, and there are women who play in men's teams around the world, but unfortunately for women, and, and it is the nature of the sport, the most physical player will always win. And because of biology, more often than not, that's going to be the men that get through. But it doesn't mean that that opportunity isn't there. Mm -hmm, definitely. What do you think about mixed sports? Just to last little question on this part. What do you think about like mixed sports? Like, for example, with football, do you think, I don't know, men and women playing in the same team? Do you think that's a possibility for the future or do you think it's not possible? I think so, personally. But people need to be realistic in the sense that you can't change biology. There are going to be some instances where men are going to have a physical advantage over women. Doesn't mean that they have a tactical advantage or anything like that. And my mindset going into the men's sport when I played on the men's team was I've chosen to be in this environment. They haven't chosen to be with me. So whatever gets thrown at me, I'm going to kind of just take it on the chin and I'm going to choose my battles because when you try and change everything at once, your voice just gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And I think that that's going to be a mindset. If we're going to have mixed sports, that's going to be a mindset that we'll have to adopt. And uh, obviously on both sides. But, you know, if you're if you're a woman going into a male environment, you've got to accept that they're going to be more physical in general they're going to have their set ways and we've got to take baby steps at first in order to make bigger steps in the future. I think you're dead right with that. I think you're spot on. Definitely. What do you think, Hams? Well, you've got that in sports already, haven't you? So you've got tennis with mixed doubles as well. You've got mixed badminton doubles as well. Uh, a variety of athletics that you do mixed in terms of sports, which is great to see. So it's already there. Like, like we said before, it's already there in terms of what we can actually see on TV, what we can actually see in the media and what we can actually see in person. So it's one of those things that as long as it's biologically possible, like Bev said as well, because the worst thing you can do is bring like an 18-year-old uh, budding young uh, female athlete into the team and you're surrounded by like seasoned veterans of like rugby players or American football players that know how to get in and out of someone's skin. Even in basketball as well, you could do the same thing just by trash talking to them as well. It's, it's incredible to see how people can actually go about it because I personally think it would be really good to see how it goes in all sports. But at the end of the day, you have to be realistic and you have to kind of see how the difference in, bio in biology is, how the difference in physics is as well, because the amount of people that you have to rely upon in a team, you don't want to then just say, oh, it's because she's a girl or it's because there's a man that we can't work together. It's something that I really believe that will happen eventually in the future, but it's, there's a lot more sports science that needs to go ahead before it can happen in a lot more different sports as well. But like I said, 
tennis, badminton, some athletics as well, some other sports. It's great to see it. So slowly but surely we're getting there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And and when I was in the men's team, like there was things I could do in women's league against other women that was, but I couldn't do that in the men's game. Like, for example, there's a move as a defensive player where you you grab the other person's chest plate and you basically just move them around. You get underneath them and you literally push them like that explosively to get them off you. When I, I'm, I'm quite heavy for a female, I'm about 80 kilos, um, just, you know, I'm, I'm a big frame, strong frame. But if I'm doing that with a bloke who's 120 kilos, the physics doesn't work, no matter how strong I am. And you have to be realistic. So I changed my game. Instead of pushing guys up, I would just get underneath them. I'd pop a shoulder in their rib cage and just go under because that's going to be more successful for me. And, but you know, if we, if we're, if we're in a situation where the opposition is really handsy, then they're not going to put me in there because, you know, no matter if I'm good, the physics doesn't work. And the, uh, the opposition won't compromise either as well. So that's another thing to worry about in terms of making sure you've got getting the right physics behind it as well, which would be yeah. something to see as well. Hmm. I think that um, for me, like, my perspective on it I think you're dead right Hams with like the tennis and the badminton all them kind of sports athletics like definitely mixed like you can you can do it but I think like invasion sports and contact sports you're right Beth it's so it you need to like um what's the word you need to like um adapt to what's going on around you because for example when I was playing football in Dubai I played with a lot of guys and they were faster they were stronger than me so I had to work tactically on how to like play against them. Mm. Whereas in the women's game, everyone's pretty much similar. But just because the men are like stronger, faster, even fitter, to be honest, and you can't help that. It's biological, like you said. Yeah. You've kind of got to adapt in your own way. I think, I think it's really interesting. It's a really interesting point, though. And like we said before, it's fantastic that you recognise that and you adapted to it as well and you thrived in that environment it's great honestly it's great to see thank you I, I want but yeah yeah Go it's, on. it's understanding your strengths and weaknesses and knowing what you can and can't change definitely definitely 100% wanted to go on a little bit about your challenges like we've just mentioned one just then but I wanted to go a little bit more into your injuries so you said you broke both hands like that's quite yeah yeah it was um it was a difficult period but like I said it was a blessing in disguise um so my my biggest challenge I think through sports and my personal life has just been my health um I have this ability to push through when my body's telling me no and although some people admire that about me it's actually probably one of my biggest weaknesses because I just don't know when to stop. And I can get so fixated on a goal that I forget that my body needs to rest. And that, that was the exact reason why I broke both my hands because I broke one and I had a massive game. It was my first international game against Scotland. And it was this first big opportunity that I was ever gonna have. And I didn't tell my coaches how bad my hand was. I just kept playing. 
was like, I've got to play in this game. I've got to have this opportunity. And because of that, I was overcompensating with my other hand in all the skills, ended up breaking that one, two. And it got to the point where it was so painful. I was like, ah, I actually need to stop now. This is too much. And I missed out on that season. I missed out on my first international opportunity. And I was really depressed for quite a few weeks about it. But actually, after a little while, I realised, do I really enjoy rugby this much? Is it giving me what, you know, I'm sacrificing all of this. I'm sacrificing my body, my health. Um, I'm sacrificing living away from my family, my friends, to train seven hours a day. What are they giving me in return? And when I actually sat and processed that, I realized that I didn't want to play at that level anymore. I'd done it and I was really proud of my achievements and I was proud of how far I'd come. But actually, it wasn't making me happy deep down. And I started kind of analysing my body and everything that I put it through. I mentioned a bit in the start of this call that I have been through CNS fatigue when I was training in weightlifting, where your nervous system is so overstimulated for a long time mentally and physically that it just shuts down and you just get extreme fatigue for a long time and you can't train, you can't really enjoy anything. When was the first signs of that? Like, when did you first notice it personally that you thought something was different by yourself? Uh, CNS fatigue. The first time I realised that was my weights were going down every week. I couldn't lift what I was uh, lifting before. There was no power in my training. Um, I was training twice a day, six days a week. It just everything, instead of going like that, it was just going down and I thought something's wrong. And in my personal life, I had uh, my grandparents become very, very ill and I was going home every weekend when I wasn't training to help look after them. It was a very difficult time for my family, my mum. And I realised that the combination of overtraining and the mental stress, plus trying to do my degree, plus trying to just exist as a young person as well and do all the things that young people are supposed to do it was too much and I just shut down and uh yes anyway fast forward when I got my hand injuries I was like my body and my health is actually far more important than training at this level and playing in these competitions and uh yeah it was blessing in disguise was there anything you kind of did when you were injured to help you into that mindset? Um, definitely painting. I, I've always loved to doodle and to draw. And uh, surprisingly, even with a broken hand, I could still doodle by holding my pen like that. Um, and I could still paint. And yeah, that was just a lot of time to realise I've got all these other qualities, you know, just because I'm injured and I can't play sport doesn't mean that I don't have an identity and I don't have things to offer to the table. So I started folk, I started reading up more about my degree, things I was interested in, painting, watching art shows, watching art programmes, catching up with friends on Zoom calls. I just realized I had all this time 
to explore other parts of myself. And by doing that and finding these other dimensions inside me, my self-worth and my value and everything that I thought defined me just increased. And uh, I know a lot of athletes, when they get injured, they really struggle with with depression. And, and the only thing I could recommend is just find these other dimensions of your personality. So if one has to be put on hold, you've got all these other things waiting for you. You just stole my next question there as well, because I've spoken, <laughs> I've spoken previously about it as well, in terms of how you can't just be one dimensional, you can't rely on one factor of your personality to make you happy or to uh, move over it as well because uh, on my podcast we have a football podcast as well where we talk about mental health and recently we're speaking to uh, some of ex-players in California as well and we're talking to them about how you can't rely on football to make you happy you can't rely on sports to make you happy because if your team for example were to lose then you're unhappy and if you're taking it seriously and you're taking it to heart that's even worse um, because then you have no way of uh, combating that but it's even difficult when you're actually playing the sport and you're actually injured from it as well because if you are all about rugby 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 then if there's nothing else to kind of combat your happiness to combat your self-esteem when you're when you can't play rugby or even watching it makes it feel bad for you makes you feel bad as well that makes it even worse for your mental health and for people around you as well so you've just literally like I said taken the question from my mind and just explained it in your own way which is fantastic as well thank you I think um from my perspective I think that it's I've never had that experience but I know a lot of people that have and I think that because as an athlete especially like you said you were playing for GB at the time and you've competed in different sports at the elite level it's your whole life basically like Mm. that's what you do to succeed that's that's literally what you do and to have that taken away from you I can imagine it's it's so difficult I wanted to ask was it before or after Covid? It was just after we were we still had a few restrictions but everything was starting to lift so it was uh, a year ago actually what is it September yet yeah it's September so I did it in July last year July I did one in July one hand in July and one hand in August wow really close to each other as well (laughs) yeah they were like three weeks apart it was uh yeah it was not good and then I was I was out for no ex no I couldn't do anything with my hands for about eight to nine weeks and then I could just start gripping things again um but it, it was so bad you know in the first few weeks I couldn't even wash my hair so I came home my mum was helping me like it was I couldn't even put jeans on in the morning because I couldn't pull them up it was um it was awful and you and you realize the importance of your hands you know you need them for everything your whole quality of life (laughs) is surrounded by what you can touch what you can feel what you can pick up who you can hug um simple pleasures like doing your hair in the morning and you you realize the you know the importance of your own health and your own well-being definitely definitely like I said I I can't even imagine it I think that like the fact that you've got through it and now when like how long did it take you to recover you said it took nine weeks before you could use your hands but how long did it take for the whole recovery um I would say 
six months before I could do things normally with my hands, I still have permanent damage in my right hand. So this finger um, and running down here is just permanently sore. There's nothing I can do about that. And I've got arthritis in this finger as well, which is it doesn't stop me from doing anything. But, you know, if I've had a long session at the gym and I'm picking up a lot of dumbbells and things, it, it will ache afterwards. But yeah, I can't do anything about that. And I've just decided that, yeah, no, I can't do anything about it. So I'm just accepting it. Yeah. I was going to link it a little bit to, to COVID before because an injury, like, although I said I haven't experienced that touch wood right here, um, I feel like during COVID, it was kind of the same length of time as like an injury would be. And that was the time a lot of people found it really hard, like really hard to stop what they were usually doing, whether that's work, whether that's sport, whatever it was, and to just do nothing or to find something else to do. Like you said, find the little things that make you you and make you happier and make you value yourself more. I feel like that was a time where people really struggled, but then people really thrived as well. I know I went a little bit to art. I know I'm nowhere near as good as you, Beth. Nowhere near, but I did try it a little bit, painting, painting by numbers, whatever it was in my bedroom. But I think that um, that was a time similar where people could actually like find themselves. I don't know whether you agree with me on that, Hams. No, not really. Um, because <laughs> no, it's true. It's true because I can agree in that kind of respect. But as you can see, it's so many. There's so many different ways of going about your life in that kind of way and trying different things at the same time so from my point of view I can agree but the majority of people have their own kind of way of going about things because we've said this before in our podcast as well it's very hard to change people's nature it's very very hard to change how people think in that kind of way trying to change and adapt in that kind of way because even with me during lockdown as um, we were talking earlier with Beth as well when you were in lockdown, Beth, did you try different things? Did you try different um, um, hobbies as well? Because I'm sure I did. And I know I tried painting and um, tried buying loads of different puzzles as well, which is quite nice Baking as well. for me. I've always done how to bake. So that, that was... You've always baked. Yeah. Baked and cooked, I'm perfectly fine. But it was just literally going back into, like, we haven't said it on this podcast, but it's, we've talked about how when you become a certain type of adult, you become a happier adult when you get back into your roots of what you enjoyed as a kid so for me personally I knew for a fact that I, I could agree with some um some bits of literally getting into what you really enjoy and how you enjoy things because it's just basically you're a kid but you've got money now so you've got a job so it's perfectly fine at that same time so that's kind of my thoughts on it but I'm not 100% in agreement because I know it's different for so many other people as well so I know that it's not a full fact it's more of an opinion more than anything I I have to admit I was quite fortunate during lockdown is in that I was still allowed we were still permitted to train and play and compete uh, during that time there was only really about a few months where we had nothing and then we were allowed back again and uh, so I was very fortunate that I still had that that kept me going but outside of that um, I painted I, I definitely went a little bit crazy because I, I was living on my own in order to train we weren't allowed to bubble up with anyone so I was living entirely on my own for about a year 
and I was very depressed, very lonely, away from my family, simple things like my, missing my dogs. It was, although I was fortunate to have my sport, I still felt very, very on my own. Yeah, I was in the same predicament as well from the lockdown because I had recently moved out from my parents' home as well. So I was living in Leicester where you are as well. So mm. um, I was living there for work. And it was just one of those things that with me, like the reason I started this podcast, Friday Night Counter Attack and Beautiful Mind Game is because I was suffering from being alone. I was suffering from loneliness and I was th- suffering with not being able to see my friends and see my family and see my cat uh, in that respect as well. So it was the fact that it was a good way of utilizing my time one hour a week to converse with my friends and talk about things that we love. We talked about football for ages. We loved it. We talked about mental health, which was quite eye-opening to see different people in different light, which is quite refreshing as well. And um, I've said this to Millie before as well. They they became not just friends, but they became like the best of friends through that time because there were some people who didn't want to share their thoughts. There were people who did still have stigmas at the same time and they still do to this day. So it's just one of those things that, I was quite happy that in that lockdown you find out a lot about different people that uh, helped you as well and helped me as well because um, even Millie will know as well when she was in lockdown were you abroad as well Millie for that you were weren't you yeah I was in Italy but then it was the worst place to be but yeah I was there Mm. were you training there yeah yeah I was playing out there wow but it was fine Um, I was in a place which was not really affected. We only had like a hundred people in our village. So it was okay in that sense. But then again, there was no one there. Like there was only a hundred people or so and no one was there. So so how did how did you try different things when you were in Italy? Because I know you mentioned this before, but just for best point of view as well, like how did you do it differently as, as a performing athlete? Um, I mean, like I said, I've tried to paint tried um I tried to draw and things like that I started with yoga so I started with like a routine I thought instead of like waking up late and getting out of a routine I should try and keep it because we never know when we're going to be back it was kind of that situation we did stop football for about a month or so um but we didn't know so I tried to keep up with the morning routine I did a little bit of meditation. I got really into that, actually. That's when that all started. Meditation and yoga and just that kind of stuff. And then I did my training, indoor training, and just tried new things. I guess just researching things. And like at the time, I'd finished my university, so I didn't really have much to study. But I just used to find like courses I could do, just random courses, just to like upskill myself or just for something to do. And then... Yeah, I guess it was just learning how to bake. I <laughs> made a good carrot cake once. I made a very bad one and then I made a great one. <laughs> so, yeah, just little things like that, like both of you two said. Um, but it was hard. It was really hard to begin with because yeah. we just weren't used to being alone. We just weren't used to being completely on our own. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to like understand people's different people's perspectives because, obviously... I was in a completely different place and it was probably a little bit different, my lockdown, because it finished and started differently. But yeah, no, really interesting. Um, Beth, I want to ask you about your art. You said you started to paint a lot in, was it, did you start in lockdown? No, I've been painting for a long time. 
tell us a little bit about that because I've seen some of your work and it is incredible incredible thank you um my mum's always been a, a big creative person so I've always had that inspiration from her she always encouraged me when I was little but from as long as I can remember always doodling drawing and then when I got to about 16 17 when my grandparents became ill and I was living with them one of the simple things that I love to do was just draw pictures and give them every day I draw a picture and I go granddad look at this and he'd give me books and he'd say I'll copy this I'll do this I'll do that and it just it just it's such a small simple thing it gave me a lot of pleasure and connect you know enabled me to connect with my family and yeah and then I I got a request to paint somebody's dog and then that led to another one and another one and then I painted people's kids and it just grew from there and then in in the last year when I took the season you know when I took some time off with my injury and I started you know really taking it seriously I just on a whim just applied for a few galleries applied for some art competitions and not expecting anything and it just blew up I got um I got an exhibition in London just a, you know a small section of one in London and I did a live painting battle in London as well and I I, I won that and got some awesome opportunities from that and what is that just just for our listeners and just for me as well what is a live painting battle so in this particular one it's called art battle they do it it's a big franchise franchise big in America but they do a few around the world as well and there's 12 artists all put in a circle and two heats and you have 20 minutes against the clock in front of a live audience with a DJ and with other artists and you've just got to paint a finished painting in 20 minutes and then it gets auctioned off and the painters in each heat get voted to go into the final and then you in the final you paint another piece in 20 minutes and then the audience vote for their favorite artist of the night and I I did that I genuinely was just happy to get selected as one of the 12 artists and I had such a great night it was so much fun the DJ was awesome Um, I brought my mum because obviously she's a big creative inspiration for me and we had an awesome time and I wasn't expecting to win and I did and I'm actually this Saturday doing another one so yeah it's that injury that I got in rugby was just a blessing in disguise because I've had all these other things that have opened up for me which I never thought were possible that's incredible to hear like it's incredible how you can I don't know I guess are you really relaxed when you paint it might sound silly to you but yeah I would say so it's something that I've learned over the years that I've been painting about 10 years now yeah and as soon as you tense up and overthink you've already ruined the painting Mm -hmm. so sometimes it's better just to relax and sometimes it goes really well and you might do something you don't expect to do you're really happy with it sometimes you make an absolute mess go to sleep paint over it the next day and start again here's a question 
what similarities can you take from weightlifting and exercising to painting? Would you be relaxed in exercising and weightlifting like you are in painting? Uh, what other similarities could you link between the two? I think the key similarity for me is being able to channel your focus. Because when you're competing in weightlifting, you're given a minute to lift the heaviest weights you've ever lifted and put them over your head. In one and motion and in two motions, like you mentioned earlier as well. In one or two motions. And you have to have this intense ability to shut everything off around you in a very, you know, just be able to turn it off like that and just channel everything that's up here, all that mental strength you've got and channel it into one object, which you've got to lift over your head. And I think there is some crossover in art where in order to produce the best painting you've ever produced, you've got to just shut everything off. You've got to just turn it off, especially if you're painting in front of an audience, just turn it off and just channel everything that's up in your brain and into, into this one object in front of you. And eliminate eliminate distractions. I think that's the that's where I'm trying to get with this. Definitely. Now I'll be able to uh, paint Mount Kilimanjaro properly as well for that <laughs> distraction from the family. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. Um, but uh, Beth, it's been fantastic to, uh, talking to you today. To end the podcast, Millie normally asks two or three key questions to summarise um, her conversation with you today. So Millie, I'll let you finish off the podcast. Go for it. Okay. Uh, really nice um, segue into it. It's kind of what we've just spoke about. I mean, you've said you're kind of at the top of your game or you're becoming closer to the top of your game as an artist you've been at the top of your game as an American footballer as a rugby player and as a weightlifter what is it like let's stick with the sport what is it like to be inside the mind of an elite athlete that is competing at the top level so say a weightlifting competition and you're competing at, did you say you went to the GB with the way yeah, English nationals that was so, yeah. so what's going through your mind in that moment at the top top stage my I'm a perfectionist so I always want to do my best but what it came down to is you have achieved so much just to get onto this platform whatever happens now it happens, it doesn't define you as a person, it doesn't define you as an athlete. Everything you've done in the run up to this is an achievement in itself. So I think you just have to remember that when you get to those big, big competitions. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, my next little question, just to flip it on its head, what would you say to someone that's just starting out, that's maybe a younger child, a teenager, or just even someone that's literally just starting out in sport, What's one piece of advice you would give to them if they're looking to do something that you've done? It sounds a bit cliche, but it doesn't matter what people think. And I always say to myself, people don't remember half as much as that you think that they do about you. So if you go as a beginner and you play a football match and you trip up or you miss a shot, 
people might react, but within 30 seconds, they've already forgotten it. So it doesn't matter. Just go out there and try it because people are more interested in themselves than they are with you. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. What a great way to finish as well. One last question from me. What can we expect from you over the next 12 months in terms of sport, in terms of art? What can we expect from you? Sport, for me, I want something new now. I want a new challenge. So... I'm keeping all my op I'm keeping all my options open. I can't tell you what it's going to be, but I want a new project. And with art, big things, big things. Big things, as in turn, in terms of like you can make a, a picture for myself and for Millie as well. Yes, yes, yes that would be my. Uh, That's okay. Thank we you keep... for thank you for having me on the show, gift. <laughs> that's okay no we're keeping quiet about both things but if if people are listening to this podcast and they are inspired by you Beth um where can they find you where can they learn more about your art more about your sport where can they learn and um learn more about you basically um so I have I'm mostly on Instagram I don't I'm not big on socials apart from Instagram so I have an art account which is Beth underscore Foster underscore art so you can follow me on there and all the competitions and and all sorts of wonderful things that I'm doing all around the country at the moment. And in terms of my sport, I don't actually, uh, I don't actually document it very much, but my uh, Instagram is Beth underscore Foz 27. So I uh, update that every now and then. Nicely done. Um, but yeah, that's something that we can leave in our description below. And we just wanted to ask you just before we wrap up as well, what's the one thing that you can teach yourself from basically learning from your own experiences what's the one thing that you've taught yourself that you've learned from your own experience my mind and my health is more important than any competition any other opportunity that is presented to me that's the only thing that I could really take from everything and that's the perfect way to end the podcast. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. Beth, thank you very much for your time as always. Millie, thank you very much again. Um, see you all again soon. Take care. And thank goodbye. you so much. No, you're welcome.